Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Luke Marshall, tech writer for MBUK and Bike Radar. And today, uh, joining me is Rob Weaver, our technical editor-in-chief, and Will Soff, MBUK writer. We're going to be going through a few of our best MTB upgrades that we think are essential to improving your experience on a bike. Um, so these guys are going to kind of join me today and, uh, and give you a few compelling reasons of why these are the places we think you should be spending your money if you're looking to improve the performance of your bike. So how are you doing today, Rob? All good, thanks, mate. Yeah. Good, good, good to hear. And yourself, Will? Yeah, very good. Thanks. I've been for my morning ride, so my brain's firing on all cylinders. I'm ready to go. Morning ride? Nice. Where'd you head out to? Uh, just a local ride around Caffilly. Happy days, happy days. More productive than I've been. So uh, so what's been going down with you, Robin, lately? Uh, so we've just wrapped up Bike of the Year, so um, you can obviously head over to bike radar to see all of that stuff or go into the shops and buy MUK and you'll find out which is the best trail enduro or e mountain bike um we tested 24 and all so um yeah pretty thorough test so i'm kind of glad that that's sort of done and dusted um so i've been yeah just cracking on with a few other bikes i've got to test at the minute including uh, one of the new giant trances uh and then yeah just loads of parts as always um, yeah, working my way through a backlog of bits and pieces that built up while I was uh, busy doing Bike of the Year. Fair enough, fair enough. Sounds chaotic as always. And how about yourself, Will? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, lots of good stuff uh, for the latest issue of MBUK. Um, yeah, I've got uh, a few different features that I'm writing. So uh, like the launch of the new Nukeproof Scout, that was a good day. And uh, yeah, trail crew at uh, Mountain View Ranch. So yeah, pick up the latest copy of MBUK and have a read of them. Nice. Sounds good. Sounds good. Weren't you in Spain recently, Will? I was, yeah. Uh, so we went out there for the launch of uh, Galfer's new disc, the Disc Shark. And I got to ride La Poma Bike Park and La Sorera, So, And enjoy some Spanish sun, which was great. Oh, brilliant. Sounds mega. Okay, so... Um... I guess we oh, crack no, into it. What about you? What have you been what doing? What about me? Oh, it's not yeah. so important. <laughs> I have actually just been come back from holiday. Speaking of sunshine, I went and got some Italian Mediterranean sun and uh, just had a week riding new trails down in the Punta Alla region in Tuscany. And uh, yeah, I had a fab week down there. Um, yeah, just enduro base, pedaling up into the hills, finding some unknown, well, unknown trails to me as such, but uh, they're all well kind of marked out and uh, a map. So, but yeah, brilliant. Brilliant area down there. That's, that's where they did the first ever EWS, right? Yeah, 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 I think 2013 is where they hosted the first EWS, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I got any Strava KOMs. I think they're still faster, even on those bikes from <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. I don't believe but, it. You know, I, don't I think I probably it. screamed louder than any of them, though. So I think that's... Yeah, I don't doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> Scream louder and cried more. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if I, was, uh, if I was to go back, what changes, what upgrades would I make to my bike to go back to make improve it? Oh, yeah, Ice cream carrier. My experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A gelato carrier would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, a coffee cup holder on the handlebar. Coffee cup holder. Italian coffee. Exactly. I, I, don't, I don't like coffee, though. I Like the ice cream I can get on board with, but I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't think I'd make a very good Italian. I put pineapple on pizza and I don't like coffee. 
<laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. Some, some faux pas there for sure. Yeah, yeah I've thrown out the country pretty quick. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. So less of my weird oddities, but uh, so no, more, more. We need more. more. <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably hear a few about these um, upgrade choices I would make to my bike. So it's, uh... I'm sure we will. All right, so we're trying to do this in a bit of um, a bit of an order. Um, some cheaper products to begin with, and then we go up to some more performance-based products. Um, so I guess kind of one of the the easiest and cheapest upgrades you can make to a bike um, is probably grips. Hey, anyone run through? Tell us why you know why grips are a key upgrade to a bike. It's like a test, isn't it? It feels like yeah, we yeah, are, yeah, me, yeah. me and Will are being yes, tested. It? Oh, uh, it's like a job <laughs> interview. Oh God. Uh, 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 yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully I get it right. Um, whatever happens, please don't fire me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I, I guess. To a degree, you know, it's always going to be subjective. Everyone's hands are different. So, you know, um, if your bike has come with some stock grips, they might be too fat, so the diameter too large if you've got little hands. So that will potentially cause your arms to fatigue when you're trying to grip grips that are just too big. Um, So on longer runs, it's going to kill your arms and you're going to be more worn out than you would if you had more appropriately sized grips. So changing those makes a big difference, as does the rubber compound that's used with them. Um, You know, certain rubbers, potentially softer, they might wear out a bit quicker, but they might also damp the vibrations a little bit better. Um, Then there's obviously uh, the pattern of the grip. You know, you have the more sort of traditional... uh, ribbed version which everyone i think calls mushroom you know so lots of little uh ridges which deform under your hands which some people really like i personally don't really get on with them feels like you have to almost to grip harder through them in order to stop your hands from moving around uh and then you know there's there's now grips out there which have uh one pattern on the top and a different pattern underneath to sort of to do different things so one to cushion your palms the other to potentially give a bit more grip to your fingers so when you're pulling up on the bars things like that so it's one of those things as i said it is you know really quite subjective but they can make quite a big difference i would say arguably the biggest thing is um comfort on the bike and fatigue through your hands and your arms um what what do you think on the subject will um, yeah, I definitely agree with what you say there. Um, I think, as you've already mentioned, it is personal preference. So some people find that they get less arm pump on long tracks with thinner grips, and some people find they get less arm pump with uh, with grips that are larger diameter. So it's worth buying a few pairs each time your grips wear out, try something different, and then eventually you'll uh, find something that works for you. Um, and also what I was going to say is if you have got like quite a cheap bike, which hasn't got lock on grips, so it's just got the type that uh, rubber all the way through and you just push them onto your handlebars, um, it's always worth upgrading to lock on grips because they're much safer in wet and muddy conditions because they can't spin round or just fall off. Um, so, yeah, lock on grips are definitely a, an innovation in mountain biking. It's worth spending your money on them. That's a great point. I would just counter that, though, with... Um... Well, you, you should know, I think, um, having mechanics on a load of World Cup bikes, but a lot of the XC guys will run the, the glued-on foam grips. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Just for a bit more comfort? And the Aftons as well. They ran uh, 
BMX grips that were not lock on and then we'd glue them on and then lock wire them onto the handlebars. Yeah. And that was just for extra feel. Um, without the plastic sleeve, they were finding that they would soak up more vibration. But obviously that is a more time-consuming and yeah. difficult operation to fit and remove them. Okay. So it sounds like the key points really are, so what grip's going to improve? Going to improve your comfort through your hands, reduce fatigue, hopefully. Um, and I guess all in all, that's going to give you better control of your bike. Having more control of your bike is probably, you know, the, it's a bonus for everyone. <laughs> I guess the big thing that we're always working towards with stuff like this is comfort and confidence, right? You know, the more comfortable you feel, potentially the more confident you'll feel. So, and, you know, the the more confident and looser you can be on the bike, the easier riding is going to be. If you're um, struggling to hold on and, you know, really tense and terrified of what you're riding, the chances are you're more than likely going to get spat off at some point and just like you in Italy, Luke, be screaming all the way. Exactly. Down the yeah, yeah, yeah. Plenty of screaming. <laughs> plenty of yeah. Okay, great. So, um, so I guess they say, as we all mentioned, maybe cheaper bikes probably don't have such sophisticated grips. Maybe a single rubber compound, single pattern, not bolt on perhaps, and uh, and spending, you know, fifteen up to twenty five pounds on a on a pair of say lock on grips um, that suit your diameter hands. So if you've got smaller hands thinner diameter, larger hands probably make sense to have a larger diameter grips. Um, and depending on, I guess, your preference on rubber thickness to help take out some of the trail buzz, it's uh, it's worthwhile to, uh, to venture out and just uh, make that easy upgrade. As with all these things, it's really hard to know exactly, you know, there's so much choice. It's, it's one of those things, try and read the reviews, jump on your mate's bikes if they've got different grips to you, just to get a feel so you don't have to go out and buy every grip that's in the shop and work out which you like best, you know, um, trying to make an informed decision. And, and the cheapest way to do it is, as I said, you know, jump on your mate's bikes and see, have a feel of their grips and see what they're like first and foremost. Perfect. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then I guess the, the second point of contact then, um, and the only other real one, the only other real one in kind of once you're standing up on the pedals is, is your pedals. Hey, keeping your feet attached to the bike. Um, I think between us, we're probably a bit of a mix. So I'm a clipless rider. I think, Will, you're a flat pedal rider. And Rob, you kind of ride both depending on time of year. Um, yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, any any points, Will? Maybe flat pedals are probably more diverse in terms of quality and what you can get than clip pedals, I guess. So uh, the, benefits to, uh, the benefits to a decent pair of flat pedals, Will. Oh, gosh. Um, so <laughs> you don't want your feet to be bouncing off everywhere. You want a pedal that is going to grip your your shoes really well so that if you're going over rough stuff, you've got that feeling of security. So cheaper pedals can have molded in pins, whether they are plastic or metal. So it's always worth looking for a pedal with screw in pins that I would say is like a minimum that I would go for. And then going up from there, you can get platforms of different shapes so ones that are more concave tend to offer more grip um, and lots of manufacturers are out there saying the virtues of having a thinner platform which gets your foot closer to the center of um, like the axle where you're standing and that gives you extra stability so your foot's less likely to rock back and forward on the pedal um, and yeah it, the more you spend you tend to get better bearings 
So in the hunt for a thinner platform, most pedals will have a bushing on the outside and the more expensive pedals will have a, a seal bearing or even two seal bearings on the inside. And it tends to be the more you spend, the longer they will last before you need to replace them. Okay, good news, good news. But it's probably worth mentioning though, you don't have to go out and buy the fanciest set of machine aluminium pedals. You know, there's so many good composite ones out there now, right? As long as they got those screw and metal pins, yeah. you're going to get a good grip, regardless of whether the body is is plastic or metal. Yeah, good point, Rob. And a lot of the brands now, um, or, or the more established brands that um, people are probably be more familiar with, do offer um, uh, not just upgrade kits for the axles to you know to lighten them up, but they also do loads of rebuild kits as well, refresh kits, which is great, just to help breathe new life into. Um, something that's kind of in the firing line. I was going to say around the the pedal depth, it's one of those things that's completely agree with what you said on that. There's also the benefits of um, ground clearance as well. The thinner platform is going to offer a, a bit more clearance and those, you know, pedals, ends of the cranks tend to end up hitting rocks, tree stumps, all sorts of stuff. Even when you're just, you know, lying the bike down, it's on the end of the bar and the poor old pedal gets a good scuffing as well, doesn't it? So yeah they're uh, they're certainly in the firing line and yeah just one last thing uh pedal pins so a lot of companies will supply you with pins that are different lengths and it's worth experimenting with different lengths so obviously longer pins will bite into your shoes more and tend to mean more grip um but most riders like the feel of being able to move their pet move their foot slightly on the pedal if they want to adjust it um, so you can't just go longer and longer because the longer ones will tend to grip so tenaciously to your feet that you can't really adjust where your foot is positioned on the shoe, uh, on the pedal. Um, so yeah, it's worth experimenting with longer and shorter pins to, to find the pattern of pins and the length of pins that you like best. And so that's uh, kind of all to try and put your foot in a bit of a, like the optimum position for you as a rider. Hey, so you've got the kind of the best platform to stand on that's going to give you the most stability on the bike and give you the most control i guess yeah yeah and clip pedals are kind of you don't have this so much freedom of movement once you're clipped in you're kind of you choose that position from your from where you adjust your cleat hey rob so what's um, a degree what's uh i know we have slightly different opinions on i, I guess, guess clip, clip or, or release, release tension, tension. And, uh, and, and the firmness of how we like, like our feet to be clipped and drop pedals. But, um, why, why, why clip pedals may be a good upgrade, upgrade um, for, for someone, someone getting into mountain biking. Um, well, clipless, I should say, then. Yeah, I would say, I don't know whether upgrade's the right um, term, necessarily, because it sounds like they're definitely going to make things better so it depends who you speak to i argue they're pros are they? yeah <laughs> and yeah, we'll I, argue their cons right exactly well, what, what are the advantages rob i guess the main thing is if you're on a hard tail especially uh and no matter what flat pedals you try every time you ride off road you find yourself getting bounced around and you're struggling to control the bike and you you know potentially can't keep your feet where you want them to be with clip pedals you know you're attaching your feet to the bike so there's none of that None of that sort of bouncing about to worry about. Your feet are just there, kind of doing their own thing. You don't need to worry about them. You can put the power down as and when you need to. You don't necessarily need to time your pedaling with smoother bits of trail. You can 
you know, I'm not saying that you should just be pedaling constantly, but, you know, as and when you need to get the power down, it's, it is generally just easier once you're clipped in. There's also uh, the fact that, you know, I, I suppose they, they do, you can use them to your advantage in terms of how you move the bike around. It's easier to lift it up underneath you when compared to flat pedals. Flat pedals, there's arguably a bit more technique involved. But um, if you watch riders like um, Bryn Atkinson springs to mind, when you see him turn and how he moves the bike underneath him, I'm sure he could do similar with flat pedals, but equally, you know, he's moving his feet around quite a bit and you can see that he's he's using them to his advantage. Um, everything from how he positions the bike to enter a turn to how he lifts it up and pumps through undulations or, you know, sort of um, repetitive sort of uh, bumps or, or hits or anything like that. He's he's making the most of the fact that his feet are attached. Yeah, I, from my side, that's, that's the biggest thing. It's just one less thing to worry about. I love riding on flat pedals. I absolutely love it. But if I'm going to go and... Um, do a race or go for a massive ride on something really rough i'd much rather have clips you know just so i can keep my feet in place and not have to think about what my feet are doing yeah i'm with you on that one like for me the biggest benefit is when you're just heading through a rough section of trail that you it's one less thing to worry about it's you know they're in place they're very unlikely going to bounce off or, or or clip out and uh and it gives you something else that you can just I don't have much brain bandwidth, so the least I have to think about. <laughs> but I can just concentrate on looking at where I'm going and not what my feet are doing. That's uh, That seems to, you know, save energy. Exactly. Like, if you are, if you're new to mountain biking, the advantages of flat pedals are that you don't need to think about it if you want to put your foot down. So if you do make a mistake and you want to make a dab quickly, you don't have to gain the technique needed with uh, clipless pedals to pivot your 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 heel outwards away from the bike in order to unclip and for experienced mountain bikers that can become second nature but as a beginner it can just be one less thing to think about if you're using flats so i just think that's worth saying yeah definitely it's one of those things you know if you if you decide to go down the route of clipless if you're already you know proficient enough on flats but you decide that your feet are getting um, jumbled around a bit too much then it is one of those techniques that you do need to have fully ingrained within you to be confident so you can as you said in that split second just dab a foot take a foot out you know it, it's down to muscle memory at the end of the day the more you use them the easier it gets and so, it's obviously possible because 99 percent of world cup downhillers and i think 100% of World Cup cross-country riders are all on uh, clipless pedals. Yeah. So obviously it's something you can learn, but for the beginner, it's something that you perhaps have to to think about for a while before it becomes second nature. Definitely, definitely. You know, there's definitely, you know, I'd say there's, well, this this is almost a podcast in its own right. I was going to say, we could argue it? the pros and cons about clips or flats. And, uh, but I guess at the end of the day for pedals, upgrading to a grippy pair of pedals, whether that's clipping in or getting some flat pedals with some uh, screw-in pins, I guess it, it's just going to give you a better feeling on the bike here. You're going to feel more secure on your bike. Back to that confidence and comfort again. Yeah, exactly. I guess if there's you no, know, you've got your hands and your feet, the only two bits attached to the bike, then it's uh, 
you want those to be the most secure as possible, I guess, to give you the safest platform to ride from. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Um, so then we, we go on to the next kind of the third and final contact point of the bike, really, saddles. Um, I don't think there's many products out there that can give you a worse day on a bike than an uncomfortable <laughs> saddle. Like, that is a, and we're talking about grips being subjective, I guess saddles even more so. Um, is there anything people can do to kind of help themselves find a, a, a suitable saddle or what things people should look out for in uh, when upgrading their saddle? Well, some brands will do, um, will allow you. I'm not sure if it's, I can't think of the brands. I th- I'm pretty sure Physique do it, where you can essentially demo saddles. So, and and a brand like Physique offer so many different shapes, widths. Um, you know the the material of the base, the material of the rails, how much padding it's got. There's there's so many options. In theory, if you were to um, whittle it down, and and it, it's those things like knowing your sit bone measurement for example, which in a decent shop you'll be able to get measured, they'll be able to find it out for you. So it's knowing that in order to try and pick the width, the appropriate width for you. Um, And then, yeah, finding a shop that potentially demos um, either one brand and and a ton of different saddles or a few different brands potentially and see, you know, what works. I think it's great that the brands are, are doing this sort of thing because, yeah, you know, You've already said it, but it doesn't get more subjective than um, sorting out your undercarriage when it comes to sitting on a saddle. And what about things like cutouts in the saddle that were, I guess, in the past always considered more female-specific, but now we're on unisex saddles and things like that? Is it Do they hold weight? To, you should look along that line. Like There's quite a lot of technology in saddles these days. Is it worth hunting down kind of the most high-tech one, or is there good options out there for less money? Well, I mean, it's, there's a massive variety out there now. Um, and, you know, um, as I mentioned, there's options around stuff like um, rail material and um, the hull, so basically the base below the padding. Um, and because because of that, generally you might have two or three saddles that look identical but maybe weigh a different amount and therefore cost, you know, quite a different amount. So... They might span from, I don't know, 30 quid up to 120 quid, potentially, but essentially be the same shape, width, have the same padding, all of those sorts of things. Um, the question around the cutout, again, it's just it's personal preference. You know, I've sat on some saddles with a cutout and have had very unpleasant experiences. Um, and then I've sat on others and it's worked totally fine. I've had zero problems. So... Yeah, it. I, I think it's one of those things where even if uh, two saddles from different brands look quite similar, they might actually feel completely different. You know, they might have flex in different places. The padding might be slightly thicker or firmer, denser. Um, even just the way the, you know, the rails behave once it's clumped in place, it, it's all going to potentially be a bit different. So, yeah, it is that... Um, you have to try before you buy, really, if you can. Yeah, so that again, go and jump on your mate's bikes and see see if they've got different saddles to you, what you find comfortable, what works, what doesn't. And I guess it's important to kind of point out that 
comfort isn't always just to do with thickness of padding, hey? I guess as you were mentioning, the rails and the hull and the, everything like that controls how how comfortable a saddle is to you rather than just the thickness of the padding as such. So, Yeah, and also um, I think it's worth mentioning that you can, for free, you can play with where your seat is positioned. So for, you know, the cost of getting out your multi-tool and loosening a couple of bolts, you can slide your saddle forward or backwards and point it up and down. And by playing about with that, you can find you get really different results with the same saddle. So it's always worth spending a bit of time just experimenting with that and what feels comfortable for you. Okay, so that kind of wraps up then saddles. Again, it's a, it's a tough one to recommend because like you say, everyone's got a, a different shape backside and uh, and what suits me might be different to what suits Will. I'm sure, I'm sure. But um, And again, I guess we go on to an, another one that's uh, I think is super important and often probably gets overlooked on bikes as an upgrade. Um, and that's kind of a handlebars. Um, and handlebars, I guess they play a massive role in your body position on the bike uh, and how you can move around the bike, whether that's kind of moving off the back to unweight the front wheel or to move forwards and load the front wheel. Um, and lots of bikes they come with, say, they've now got a standard wider handlebars, but different shape and flex pattern um, all plays a major role in kind of in how you control the bike. So is there anything people should look out for when looking to upgrade the handlebars? Well, I mean, I guess it's first point is just to look at what you've got right now and work out what you like about them and potentially what you don't like about them. Um, I think uh, I've moaned about it in the past, but the old 35 mil diameter bars, um, some of them feel great. Some of them feel absolutely brilliant. Um, but some of them, you can definitely notice a harshness to them. Um, compared to, I would say, almost the majority of 31.8 diameter bars. So it's potentially looking at uh, if you're feeling like you're getting loads of feedback through your hands and you know that you're happy with your fork setting, your tyre pressures and things like that, it could potentially be down to your handlebars causing that. So um, shop around, look what, you know, read the reviews, obviously Bike Radar's full of them, but there's there's definitely certain bars out there because obviously if you're looking to you know if you've already got a 35 mil bar you don't necessarily want to change it completely because it means you've got to change your stem as well change to a different diameter i mean so that could be really costly but there are really good 35 mil bars out there that don't feel harsh that do you know manage to absorb a lot of those vibrations i think you use a one-up bar don't you luke so i am yeah completely sold on the one-up components carbon handle bar that has a ovalized um, ovalized uh, profile. What's the word I'm like looking for? Like the cross for? section, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. A- so the cross the, section around almost the, the bend. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, bar, yeah. so where the bar rises up, these ovalized profile, and that, in theory, they say um, doesn't diminish any steering performance, but allows a bit more vertical compliance to kind of help take the sting and the buzz out the trail a little bit, and. I think I can notice that. Yeah, that's my go-to bar. And like, I don't get arm pump. I don't suffer from arm pump when I ride. But so I do get, strong. Yeah, but I do get real bad hand fatigue. So, um, so like the palm of my hands will ache when I ride on like a long sustained downhill track. It's not in the forearms. It's just in my hands. So anything I can do to try and minimize 
I say that vibration and that buzz going through to my hands is, uh, I, I think, yeah, essential for me. Um, and that bar, I, I think, really, uh, really helps there. And um, what about materials, guys? If someone's upgrading their handlebar, should they go for carbon or should they go for aluminium? Or have they got different advantages and disadvantages? So I guess um, the one-up components, you could say handlebar. The advantage is, is with the carbon, that's a carbon bar, you can change the, uh, like say, the shape of the bar, the profile of the bar, the cross-section. Um, it's probably easier to add and remove material in different places as well to give it a... Uh, a slightly more variable flex pattern as aluminium handlebars um i mean they can be tapered um and let's bars like renthor for example do use a, a tapered bar to kind of give strength where needed but to be more lightweight where possible and have a, have a bit of flex um i don't think there's a huge disadvantage to have an aluminium bar or saying that or you have to have a carbon bar i know some people won't ride carbon bars of the fear of like the catastrophic failure i guess if you if you damage an aluminium bar it's more likely to bend um than it is just to 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 crack and fail like a carbon bar perhaps um will um that hasn't put me off using carbon bars and and let's say i i run one and it's uh i'm yeah, I've seen snapped carbon bars, but I think you know I've seen broken aluminium bars as well. So it's. Uh, um, what about you, Will? What would you buy? Um, well, I tend to be quite abusive with my stuff, so like I'll I'll crash, and I think for for security and peace of mind, I'll often go for an aluminium bar. Um, and all handlebars have a bit of flex, a bit of compliance, and that's what gives you the 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 comfort and the vibration absorption that you get. Um, but arguably carbon does more so. I think manufacturers will promote uh, that uh, the compliance of a carbon bar over and above aluminium. Um, but I find that aluminium bars have enough compliance. And, and like Luke, I don't tend to suffer too badly from arm pump. So for me, it's more about the shape than the material. If I've got a bar with the amount of back sweep I like and the amount of up sweep I like, I tend to be pretty comfortable, um, but it's really nice to be able to save the weight of the carbon. And for some people, they really like that vibration absorption. Just adds to the old price tag there, right? Mm. Yeah. And and there's an interesting thing you touched on there about the shape. I think um, Luke and I, again, notice this a lot because he runs his bars. Um, how to put it nicely? Uh <laughs> kicked forward like he's on a 1980s rally burner and he's about to go and rescue E.T. Um, whereas I, I try to minus sort of roll back a little bit. So I guess it just makes a nice straight line down through the, um, to the, to the axle. Basically. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm between both of you, like uh, Luke's bar position. I do find quite radical, but I think I go slightly more radical further, that way. Further, yeah, <laughs> radical. I think uh, I tend to run my slightly further forward than Rob, or slightly further back than Luke in general. And and again, it, as you mentioned, it's that sort of um, some brand. You know, I, there's there's sort of uh, standard figures which some brands will go to, but there's certain outliers within that that make a bar that maybe doesn't have quite as much back sweep or up sweep and can feel quite different. So again, it's sort of finding what works for you, and then. We haven't really touched on width, but I guess know how uh, 
but we'll know what the minimum is. So there's no point buying a bar that only comes in 750 if you know you want to run it 780 because you can't just add stuff to it. You can't add material on. You can obviously chop it away if you buy something that's a bit wider. And again, you know, the whole width thing is um, very subjective. Depends, you know. We were talking about this the other day and I remember when, because um, I was in Australia, I lived in Australia for a while and I just remember seeing everyone riding a nine horse Sunday with, you know, they must have been 800 mil bars. You should probably put a thought. date to this when you went back there because it might not be that, you know, everyone nowadays rides it. Yeah, yeah, everyone rides <laughs> <laughs> <on> Sunday. <laughs> so we're, we're all old, so we can all yeah. remember when the maximum yeah, handlebar was 710 mil. That was the widest you could buy. I remember what, well, when we had, when me and Luke, when we raced World Cups, it was seven eight five, uh, six eight five, and then it went to seven twenty, and then they uh, it was it fun brought out maybe seven sixty. Yeah, everyone was on really rock. Like I remember just seeing it was in two thousand seven two thousand eight when I was there and seeing loads of kids, kids who got their parents to buy them these massive handlebars. They were far too wide for them, so they're totally stretched out almost with their face on the stem, trying to ride down these crazy downhill tracks. You know. Well, I remember Al Bond, who is 6'2". He had a small Iron Horse Sunday with uh, a flat bar with extensions in to bring them out to 820. That was a pretty <laughs> radical setup, that's for sure. Yeah, so, but um, I guess for then handlebars then, it's a lot of personal preference, but what's the... what's the benefit to improving your... or to upgrading your handlebars? Like, what's this going to do to your performance on the bike i guess it might be that if you've if you've got um cheaper or an older bike there's a chance that uh it might have come with either a really flat bar really shapeless bar one that's maybe um too stiff potentially so it could hurt your hands or it could be that it's of an age where uh, almost like we were alluding to a minute ago where it's just really narrow and so it may it potentially lacks a bit of the control so switch into a slightly wider bar, as, assuming you you know it works for you, and even potentially a, a shorter stem. It's going to give you a bit more of a, a reactive steering feel, which is always good for you know picking your way through technical single track. Yeah, great, great. Okay, um, you don't sound convinced. <laughs> <laughs> this is my happy face. This is <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, it's good. So again, I guess all these control point ones they come down to. Um, making sure that you're comfortable on the bike, hey, and being in a comfortable position is uh, is going to give you the best performance on the bike, if you know what I mean, or to get yourself, or to get the best from yourself on the bike if you're in the best position for you as such. Okay, so another thing that's, uh, I guess, has often been the case, and fortunately becoming less so nowadays, is having to upgrade tyres on a new bike. Uh, and unfortunately, tyres are a perishable item on a bike and they seem to wear out far quicker than you would want them to. So um, I guess, yeah, it's one of the always been one of the, the kind of most important upgrades, really. What's uh, what's the benefit to, you know, putting a really decent pair of tyres on your bike? Go on, Will. Oh, I'm taking this one. All right. OK, so there's a number of things to take into account with tyres. They're not just the the bits of rubber that wrap your rims. Uh, it's really important to get the right tyre for the kind of riding you do. 
so if you do lots of uh, lots of loam and you've got lots of mud around you, you're going to want a tire that's more aggressive and provides you more grip. Uh, whereas if you ride somewhere that is more surfaced, you're going to want a faster rolling tire to keep your speed up and mean that you're not slogging around and, and wearing down your tires for no reason. And then casing as well. So the more the more substantial you go in terms of your tire casing, the more puncture resistance you're going to get and the more support you're going to get when you're cornering, but also the more weight you're going to have and rotating weight is going to slow you down uh, when you're trying to speed up and it's going to put more stress on your brakes when you're trying to slow down. So you want to have the, the thinnest case you can get away with without getting lots of punctures. So it is a bit of a balancing act, really. Definitely. And that the casing kind of, I say, is there for protection. Um, the tread pattern is there for grip. Um, is there anything to do with like size, how size influences tyre choice or or what uh, what people might want to do? Wider tyres, do they offer a, a benefit in certain circumstances or is that a compromise to wider tyres? Should we be on narrower tyres? Is there... Um... Feel free to. I mean, I might get it all wrong and get yeah. fired. But uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I guess when you're shopping for tyres, it's good to have a rough idea about um, your rim width, the internal measurement especially, because that's going to dictate how a tyre inflates and the shape it's going to hold once it's inflated. Um, So generally nowadays, if you go out and buy a a modern mountain bike, the internal width, the internal rim width is going to be around about 30 mil, which means that these, tire, these rims, sorry, will work with tyres that are probably between 2.3 to 2.6, and they'll work with them pretty well. They'll give you a good shape once it's inflated. Um, older rims are generally narrower. You know, uh, even 10 years ago, we were running internal widths of probably between 20 and 25 mil, I would say. So if you were to stick a much wider tyre on there, it's going to look quite pinched, be quite sort of balloon-like, uh, potentially won't be as well supported. So if you're on a bike with um, a narrower rim width, it's probably worth taking that into account when you're going shopping for tyres and, and limiting how wide you go because otherwise you're going to get something that's not as well supported. It won't corner as well or work quite as well with the terrain you're riding on. Um, but say, for example, we're working with the 30mm internal rim. We, we You know... I would say uh, a broader tyre with a larger volume is going to add a bit more cushioning to the ride feel. So it's going to absorb more bumps ahead of your suspension actually moving. Um, you know, it soaks up a lot. You know, those those bigger tyres help to soak up loads of the trail chatter, all those little vibrations that can start to, you know, really start to buzz your hands. Um, there are downsides to going too wide. Um if you've gone too wide and you, you, you've got a really light casing, the chances are um, at lower pressures it's, it's going to squirm a bit. And by that I just mean um, the tyre's going to not feel as accurate. It's going to be more vague. It's going to, you know, um, kind of wobble around a little bit when you push hard into a corner or up the take up of a jump potentially. Um and it's kind of the reason why we stepped away or the industry stepped away from the whole plus tire thing, which was, you know, 2.8 to three inch wide tires. Um, if they were to make those tires with a suitably heavy casing, 
you know, each tire would weigh like two kilograms. Instead, they, you know, some of the plus tire bikes that we were getting, the tires weighed sub, sub a kilo, you know, sub one kilo. Uh, and we were tearing them constantly. And you had to run slightly higher pressures to avoid, you know, pinch flats and all of those things. But right now, the industry is in a really good place where it seems like we've settled on 2.4 to 2.6, you know, and anything in between. Um, and with that, you, on the right size rim, you get a great tire profile, so a great shape. Um, there's now so many different, uh, so many different, not just tread patterns, but tire compounds, you know, and, and they're not just single compounds, they're double or triple even. So that means they might be firmer on top. So they roll a little bit quicker, but as you start to lean the bike over, you're going to go into a slightly softer compound and then even further, it might get even softer. So plenty of corner traction. Um, and yeah, there's there's so many different cases to choose from. And it is a bit of a minefield. I was speaking to an old friend of mine the other day, actually, who was asking about this. And he was just bamboozled by the the differences from one brand to the next and how they referred to everything from, you know, how they termed what might be tubeless or tubeless ready through to what do those letters mean? Is that the carcass or is that the um, compound? So get online, find some good explainers. Most brands, if you dig deep enough into the sites, will um, break down what all those um, initials mean. So you can kind of, you know, navigate your way through. But just as Will said, it's trying to work out what you need from a tire and then almost, you know, reverse engineering to the point where, you you know, you, you know exactly what you need in the end. Perfect. Um, but Sorry, I was just going to say, just to expand what you said on compounds, Rob, um, a harder compound will roll faster and it will also last longer. So it will yeah. be longer before you need to replace your tire. A soft compound, it won't last as long, and it'll provide you with more grip, especially over things like wet roots and rocks. Um, but it will wear out more quickly and roll more slowly. And then the other thing to think about is the rebound. So if you've got a really soft tire compound, it's going to rebound after you hit uh, a bump or rebound after one of the knobs is bent over. Um, a softer compound will rebound more slowly, which will give you more grip whereas a faster compound will rebound more quickly, which will tend to give you less grip. So it's not as simple as one is better or one is worse. Uh, it's different, right? Yeah. And I guess back to the original point, why are we upgrading our tyres? It's primarily down to making the bike as controlled as possible in those given circumstances. Like we've said, horses for courses, you know, trying to work out what you need and what will work with your wheel set up as it is rather than going out and buying some new wheels um that's kind of the key to this and just as all the other things we've talked about already it's just all about um confidence and you're right at the start here when you said you know tires well along with saddles tires can make or break a ride you know if you've got the wrong compound or um the casing's too heavy or too light, you know, you're potentially gonna head off into the hills or, you know, I've done, I've done rides on press camps where the brands have 
um, they've stuck really lightweight, fast rolling tires on these bikes. So when you lift the bikes up, everyone's going, oh, they're light bikes. But the reality is, you know, we go off to ride the mountain behind wherever we're staying and everyone's got flat tires within 10 minutes. Um, it's, it's trying to find something that's as appropriate as possible for the majority of riding you're doing. And by doing that, you're going to elevate stuff like grip, braking traction, um, potentially rolling resistance. You know, you can, you can, it depends whether you want more or less, you know, if you're riding just down steep trails, having all that extra grip means the bike might roll more slowly along a tarmac road or a fire road, but it means it's, you know, going to be gripping more while you're sliding down the side of a mountain or a hillside. So yeah, lots of factors to consider, but ultimately what you're getting out of it is just way more control on the bike. And then also like you want to, everyone wants to enjoy their rides as much as they can. So if you're going out to do a big trail centered loop, um, you're not going to want the grippiest tire you can get. So it's all very well having really good corner speed. But if you're trying to haul a big pair of, say, 2.6-inch uh, downhill tires that are really soft in the compound and heavy in the casing around a trail centre, you're going to have loads of grip, but you're not going to have a good time because it's going to be such hard work dragging that bike around. So it's always a compromise. Might lose a load of weight, though. Sweat it off. Who <laughs> <laughs> get you fit. So next week, downhill tires going on my bike. That's fine. Off to the trail centre. <laughs> Uh, get yeah. rid of all that ice cream yeah exactly Ooh. exactly uh, yeah okay yeah so tires i think are a, uh, a a huge important upgrade a hugely important upgrade to give you i guess the most control on your bike which is going to lead you to having i say the kind of the most fun on your bike i guess and uh which tire is best for you takes a bit of experimenting but there's loads of things to look out for and uh and the good news is is there's loads of tires out there these days that are that are really good as well from kind of sorry do you guys have favorites or go-tos that you like to ride or, or you tend to keep coming back to those tires i i do have a uh yeah a set of tires on my bike that i've personally chosen at the minute it's a schwabi magic mary um super trail super soft front tire and uh maxis uh minion dhr2 um max terra double down rear tire god i don't know if i could mix brands yeah i don't know if i could do that yeah yeah i don't mind that i think it's uh you can have two different tire brands they did each front tire and back tires doing a different job so don't know if i could do it it's like um, wearing a fox top and troy d shorts isn't it i could do that i could totally do that i yeah. don't know what it if, is about tires same with I, wheels they need to match by choice, I'd put on some Michelin downhill tyres on there, but I'm just too lazy to pedal them around for the rest of the time. But yeah, they're for, hard going, for, aren't they? Yeah, for grip, I'm like blown away by them, but uh, they're not going to slog around a downhill tyre all day. That's, even though I could eat more ice cream. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're trying to move on. That's kind of, um, it's covered off a lot of points about, I guess, um, putting like how you interact with the bike as such. Um, the handlebars, the saddle, the pedals, the grips. Uh, and then kind of the tyres there it's kind of start moving on to how the bike interacts with the terrain as such. And some, we try and move on to some upgrades that are kind of a bit more performance focused and how we can kind of maybe improve the performance of the bike. Um, and we'll go on to the big one and kind of start off with this one. This is, as a kid, I remember this being 
kind of the first upgrade I, well, first big upgrade I always really wanted was a pair of suspension forks. Like forks, I guess, have always been a bit of a lustworthy upgrade. But uh, what's like, a, if people are going to go out and they want to Im- Im- upgrade their suspension forks, what should they look out for? And why is a, a top-end fork better than a mid-spec fork? Like, Well, I would say, before we get stuck into that, if they already have a suspension fork on their bike, go and get it serviced first before they drop. Oh, very good point, Weaves. Very good point. You know, 500 pounds to a thousand pounds on a new fork just because you know if it's past its service interval and starting to feel a little bit sticky or it's you know um same with you know potentially same with a shock but maybe we'll touch on that in a bit later um going to speak to a professional and having it properly serviced and potentially tuned to suit your needs more than it already is as standard is going to make a massive difference you know, sometimes it will almost be more of a difference than it would be to just plugging uh, a brand new fork on. Um, I mean, you know, Will, better than anyone, you used to work at Fox's service centre, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, formerly Mojo, then Ride Fox UK. And uh, yeah, just echoing what Rob said, basically, like the fork bushes are designed to slide over the stanchions um, and with a film of oil in between. And if dirt or grime or bits of metal or or material from inside the fork that's degrading get between the bush and the stanchion they can stick together and then it's not doing what it should do and suspending you from the bumps so yes it's it's not cheap but it's going to make a world of difference to how that fork feels and it's going to preserve the life of the fork so if you keep riding on a fork that is sticky and is past its service interval it can actually wear the coating off the stanchions and then you either need to get a new CSU or throw the fork away. Um, so obviously prevention is better than cure. So yeah, servicing, very important. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, good points. It's uh, something that needs to be done to my forks coming back from Italy. I've probably got ice cream in them or something. But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <they're sticky. laughs> That's right, that ice cream holder was a terrible idea, Will. All it did was just dribble onto yeah. my forks. Yeah. In 25 degree heat. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> After yeah. an hour riding uphill, ready for my ice cream now. No. Exactly. But while a, a service isn't cheap, is it? It's certainly cheaper than just uh, throwing yourself into the deep end and replacing them. So yeah, that's definitely spot on advice there. Um, and for those looking to upgrade their forks or have a more basic damper, what's what's the benefits of like upgrading to uh, a higher spec fork, if it, even if it's um, a, a mid-range fork that's working really well? Like what, why, is, why have forks always been lustworthy? I guess, I guess it sort of depends whether we're talking... Um the you know the chassis is essentially the same and you're upgrading the damper it might be that um the damper has less friction than the old one and helps to create a more sensitive fork which overall means you potentially get improved grip it might be more supportive as well so um you could you know you can almost have your cake and eat it to a degree so it means you get a bit more sensitivity but you still get that support you need when you want to you know push the bike into the turns um i think most of us would probably agree on some of the cheaper forks sometimes you're having to compensate for some of those areas by running more spring pressure in order to maintain the ride height because maybe it doesn't have things like low speed compression adjustment so you're you're kind of relying on the spring to do that and by increasing the spring pressure it means 
your uh, limiting sensitivity, which means, you know, potentially traction is then limited because of that, versus a more refined damper where you have a bit more adjustment. You know, you can ensure it stays nice and supple, but you can fine tune it using that adjustment, using that compression adjustment. So you get the support you need, you get the traction you want. And um, I mean, most forks now, most air sprung forks now, you're able to tune the final part of the travel. So how progressive it feels by adding some form of volume spacer. Um, But I guess my point is, it's not necessarily um, a night and day difference. It is that sort of something that maybe if you're more experienced, it will be easier to pick up on. Um, But more, I guess, more basic forks aren't really basic anymore. They're really good compared to what we started out on. They are, you know, light years, light years away from those. Um, And so you do get, you know, a lot of performance out of them. They are really, really good and they will be good enough for pretty much everyone. But if you're looking to step things up just a little bit, being able to have less friction in the system, so a more sensitive fork, increasing um, potentially your adjustments, enable you to fine tune things and perfect your setup it's a small sort of marginal gain i suppose rather than a a complete um shift in performance but that's i think that's kind of what you're getting from going from you know mid to high end that makes sense yeah and that you think that uh that those those small marginal gains translate to a a better experience on the trail given the choice if you had to go and uh choose a fork yourself what would uh would you go for a more mid-spec one or would you try and top out on your budget? No, I'd probably go for something more mid-spec and get it tuned. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, even when you look back to when we raced downhill, what would we do if we bought a new fork or shock? We'd just take it to be tuned straight away, right? That would be the standard practice. You know, it's an expensive bit of kit. You might as well get the most out of it, have it optimised to your weight and your riding um, style preferences rather than just bolting onto the bike and hoping it kind of does what it needs to do. Um, I think, but going back to what I was saying, I think all that sort of mid-spec stuff now is so good that it doesn't really leave you going, oh, you know, kicking myself because I don't have four different types of adjustment or, you know, gold stanchions or whatever it might be that you're, you know, paying that bit extra for. I think most, especially the big two, you know, Fox and RockShox are doing an incredible job with what they're putting out there um and they pretty much have a fork for every type of riding for everyone's preferences and they'll do the job and again just being able to go and get it tuned is going to elevate it that bit further i think perhaps it's worth saying as well that like if you're spending more money you often get more adjustment but that more adjustable damper doesn't necessarily work any differently or any better than the cheaper damper. In some cases it does, but in some cases you've just got the same damper but with adjustments on it. Um, And then that goes back to what Rob was saying about getting a damper tuned for your needs. So then you haven't got any clicks of adjustment, but someone's built the shim stack so it works for your weight and for your riding style. So that's perhaps another way of looking at it. Um, and also, I think what a lot of people say is they're like, oh, forks are really expensive. 
And yeah, they are, but they use, and on top of using a lot of exotic materials in the seals and the coatings and the oils and the actual parts themselves, you're also paying for the research and development. So that company's gone out and they've tried hundreds of different pistons, hundreds of different shim stacks to come up with a high and low speed damping circuit that works as best as it can for mountain bike riding. So you've got a low speed circuit that you push against and the more you push against it, the more it pushes back. And then at a certain point, a certain amount of force, the high speed damper will open, the high speed circuit will open and then that will allow the the front wheel to move out of the way of a bump that you're hitting. And that's like a really hard thing to build. That's a really hard thing to tune. So yeah, it's, it's a thousand pound or, or whatever it costs, but that company's done a lot of research and development and testing to make it work really well. And that's part of what you're paying for. Fair enough. And uh, and I guess we're saying here then as, uh, as upgrades go, it's, it's maybe suspension forks are a great upgrade from someone with a very basic suspension to a mid-spec, that's going to be a bigger jump up than someone who's looking to upgrade their mid-spec fork to a top-end fork. Yeah, potentially, I think. I mean, I think we've all ridden on uh, the grip damper versus, say, the grip two. You know, so the grip damper's featured in the cheaper Fox forks. Grip two is in all the more expensive ones. That grip damper is really good. It's seriously smooth, isn't it? And... I guess uh, back to Will's point about just because it's more expensive doesn't necessarily mean it's better. You you know you're not only adding um, in a load of adjustment that you then need to spend time trying to get your head around. You're also adding a bit more in terms of complexity and more things to potentially go wrong. So yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Back to your point. I think um, yeah. If if you've got something that's super basic right now. Um, and can afford to go jump up to something sort of mid-range, then brilliant. That's going to be a big shift, and you're going to get more grip and more confidence off the back of it. Um, if you're at something around the mid-level, get it serviced first, see how it is, and then if you still don't feel like you're getting everything you need out of it, then potentially see if you can demo a slightly more expensive fork. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Okay. Um We'll crack on because we're uh, we're trying to get through the last few bits uh, a little sharpish. Um, another huge one then for like inspiring confidence is brakes. Unfortunately, there are some brakes these days out there that work fantastically that aren't too expensive, and there are brakes out there that are ridiculously expensive. And I've never really used them yet, but reviews say they're amazing. But there's nothing to me on a trail that kind of by tires and brakes that kind of allow you to ride to your full capability. So I'm I'm going to pack those brakes as one of the uh, one of the best upgrades you can do to a bike. Is there anything people should be looking for when they're kind of upgrading their brakes or wanting to upgrade their brakes? Go on, Will. What do you reckon? Oh man. Um, so numbers of pistons. Uh, in general, uh, a brake with more pistons will offer you uh, a greater pad contact on the disc and therefore more power. And they also tend to offer you more modulation because manufacturers will often put in. Uh, two smaller pistons and two larger pistons so two pistons will contact the disc first and that will give you some extra extra modulation so so power is how much force how much stopping force the the brake can exert on the wheel and then your modulation is how much control you've got over that power 
So they're the two things that you want to look for in a brick. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, anything um, to do with like size and fit and uh, adjustability? Is there anything that more expensive brakes do over cheaper brakes? Well, I was going to say, so if you're upgrading, your frame or your fork might have a maximum rotor size. So you need to factor that in. Um, and it might be that it rules out some rotor sizes completely or that uh, in order to make it work, you're going to need to buy the right adapters. Luckily, things have got a little bit less complicated than they were, you know, a number of years ago, which is kind of useful. But that would be fairly key. And then um, finding a lever that you like, a lever shape. They're all a bit different from each different brand, work in slightly different ways. Um, kind of personal preference. But like you said, there are a lot of good cheap brakes out there now. You know, you can spend less than 100 quid and get a really good brake. Um, and if you do need to boost the power, assuming your frame or fork allows, up in the right size, considering pad compound is another crucial thing. Um, what it's made out of, you know, um, whether it's organic or sintered is, is pretty key. Uh, and whether, I guess whether, because um, I know that some brake brands will only recommend the use of certain pad compounds so you've got to be kind of careful there too okay yeah brilliant um <laughs> okay yeah brilliant <laughs> oh and then sorry i think you asked about adjustment there luke so i was gonna say you tend to get two different adjustments on a lever on a high-end brake uh one of which is reach so that's where the lever blade sits in relation to the handlebar and the other which is throw so that's how far the lever moves between where it sits normally and where it starts starts offering you braking force. Um, and with an expensive brake, you'll tend to get adjustments of both of those. And then the less you spend, the less adjustments you'll get. Is there a big difference in power between these kind of mid-spec or lower price brakes to the, the high-performance brakes? Or is it you just, this adjustability is kind of what adds the complexity in the, and adds to the price? It tends to be the adjustability. So often the, the basic architecture of the brake will remain the same between the lower end uh, models and the higher end models, but you get more adjustability. And then also behind the scenes, there can be different uh, piston materials like uh, phenolic, which is a ceramic piston, which is more heat resistant, um, or lighter materials to make the brake lighter or last longer. You also might get um, things like bearings at the lever pivot instead of a bush, just to make it feel potentially a little bit lighter um, to pull. But yeah. But all, that, but all that power, like it's kind of, I guess, the most important thing on the trail really is when you're going down a hill, you want your brakes to kind of have enough force to stop you and enough modulation to control that that force. That's uh, There's not too big a discrepancy between the kind of more mid-priced brakes and the uh, and the high-end brakes, eh? No, no, not huge, for sure. You know, um Stuff like uh, the the cheaper Shimano brakes, which cost about a hundred quid per end, so including the rotor, I think. Um, so you get this, the same server wave tech on the lever, so it's nice and light to pull. To pull, um, you still get a four uh, piston caliper at the business end, um, and those things are serious, you know, seriously uh, solid. Yeah, yeah, I think I've run those brakes on a uh, had it on a Scott Ransom for a whole year and uh, no problems with them whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, they're spot on. 
Okay, good. Um, another upgrade one then that is popular is wheels. Um, how much difference does like spending? Obviously, wheels you can you can get pretty moderate price wheels and extortionately expensive wheels. Uh, there's a is you know are these one of the best upgrades you can do to a bike to change its performance on the trail? Uh, it's tricky, isn't it? It's all it's all dependent on where you're starting. I think um, what you're going from and to. Um, we regularly recommend in MUK and on Bike Radar brands like Hunt who do a really affordable uh, or really affordable wheel sets for you know uh, less than 400 quid. Um, I know that's still a lot of money. They offer you know um, reliable hubs. Uh, a good ceiling when it comes to tubeless um, setup, stuff like that. Um, forgiving ride feel, but without feeling too vague or floppy. There's decent pickup from the free hub. All of those things. And I guess the, the overall sort of flex versus stiffness versus comfort is, is, you know, pretty much bang on. Or that's been our experience at least, I think. Uh, and, and that's the, like all of these things, it's that, it's trying to get that balance when you're buying something like this, trying to get that balance of all of those things in order to try and create something that's going to um, give you the best ride feel possible on the trail, um, help to keep your bike on the line you want it to be on and give you the most confidence possible. From a more basic set of wheels, how does a, how does a more expensive pair of wheels do that? What's uh... What are they doing differently? Well, do you jump in and uh, and pick us up here? What's uh, why did why did cheaper wheels uh, aren't up to the task? Oh gosh! Uh, so you got your three parts to make up a wheel. So you've got your rim, your spokes, and your hub. Uh, now, more expensive hubs will tend to roll more freely uh, and perhaps have a faster pickup on the on the free hub, which Rob's already alluded to, um, and then. With rims, Rob talked about uh, rim width earlier, which gives you your your tire profile. Um, And then compliance comes from the flex of the rim and the flex of the spokes, and that's what generates your grip. So you actually don't want a wheel that's as stiff as possible because then you're not going to get maximum grip when you're cornering or when you're going along off camber. So you want a bit of compliance built in and that's one reason that people will spend a lot more money to get carbon rims. Um, and in addition to that, they're they're lighter and, and they save weight. And the less rotating weight and unsprung weight you've got, the more traction you're going to get and the faster acceleration you're going to get. So, And potentially the better your suspension is going to work, right? And so, yeah, the more you spend, the posher materials you get, and you tend to get better engineering, better bearings. So... Yeah, it's it's not like if you spend more, you're not going to get more. Um, but there are wheels that you've mentioned that do a really good job at a much more affordable price point. So that all comes down to, I guess, you know, improving your experience on the trail. Hey, having that uh, that compliance and the grip and the impact protection, all those things are just going to give you a better day out on the bike. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's kind of the theme that kind of all these points or all these products that we've chosen kind of the best places to to spend your money if you are upgrading your bike is to kind of have a look through this list and I guess they are there to improve your riding experience hey exactly and this is I guess hopefully we can agree that these are kind of uh the, 
the better places to spend your money. I mean, you could go spend it on drivetrain parts, but perhaps, you know, buying lighter weight drivetrain doesn't increase your performance on the trail as much as uh, upgrading your tires, for example, for a more suitable pair of tires or getting a, a, a more, you know, or servicing your forks to give your forks more performance. That's going to translate to a, a, a better feel on the trail than a, a fancy rear mech, perhaps. Yeah, or even even jumping from like a, a fixed, you know, rigid seat post uh, to a dropper post is going to massively improve you know, how you ride around a trail, the, the amount of flow you get, the position you can hold on the bike, being able to drop the post out of the way so the saddle's not, you know, whacking you right at the bum um, just when you least want it to. Um, things like that, they don't have to cost a fortune and they improve the overall experience on the trail, you know, tenfold. There, it, things like that, that's, you know, incredible innovations that make a massive difference. I think a dropper post is going to be one of my favourite innovations in the whole mountain bike industry. That, that was a game changer, it really was. 100%. Yeah. Um, we might have to wrap up here. Um, there's people outside waiting to use the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to uh, cut you all off. Okay, so we might have to wrap it up here and uh, and hopefully that's given you an insight into kind of what we feel are the best places to spend your money if you're looking to upgrade your bike and the and the parts that you should go out and look at first. Um, and hopefully those are going to be like the best bang for buck places to uh, improve your experience on the trail. And that's going to hopefully give you more enjoyment and uh, and get you to ride your bike more. So I just want to say a big thanks to Will and to Rob for uh, giving us your time. Thanks, Lou. Uh, hey, thanks for having us. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Oh, no, it's been great. and uh, And thanks for the detail and the thorough chat. And uh, look forward to catching you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 